It's a blessing and an honor to be here. I thank you so much for um, your allowing me to be a part of your service. Um, ben and I started around the same time, and uh, just seeing how God has elevated and blessed his life and used him in the area of worship, um, it's just wonderful to see. Um, as mentioned, I am the executive director of a, um, an outreach ministry called the, the, we call it The Point, um, and the reason why is because it's good marketing. We wear these shirts and people ask us, what's the point? And <laughs> we can tell them about Jesus. But the idea around the point is, as you can imagine, um, no matter what's going on in society, God calls us to do outreach. He calls us to make disciples. And the, throughout history, the church has done it in a few ways, especially in American history. There's always been street evangelism, uh, but that's not going on a lot anymore. Um, even before the pandemic, there, was, there wasn't a lot of churches that were out on the street um, telling people about Jesus. And it's hard now because our society has changed. You know, we don't necessarily want to be stopped and talked about, uh, about these things. And it can create a lot of, uh, you know, altercations. Um, besides, most people today, if you do see them in the streets, they're like this, stuck on their phones. There's also door-to-door -door evangelism where, uh, you know, the churches would go to people's houses, knock on the door, and someone would come and say, no one's home, and uh, we will be on our way. Um, but I don't know about you, when's the last time have we, any of us have taken part in this? In fact, evangelism has become something where it's almost a specialized part of the church, and we have a special person that does evangelism. One way the church has combated this change in society is uh, seeker-friendly services and megachurches where most of the service is geared towards um, new believers or unbelievers. And uh, that's one way we've done it, but there's been some uh, data that shows that that hasn't really resulted in new Christians. It really resulted in churches losing members and joining uh, churches with better programs. So what we've done, we've created a community center that allows the community to come and be engaged by the church. As mentioned, we have about 30 to 35 churches that are involved with us. Every night a different church is on site. In a safe environment, we have basketball gyms. We have a cafeteria that seats about 100. We have a boxing gym. That's where we take the bad kids and teach them a lesson. Um, we, we have a chapel. We have a hands-on training center where we can... Uh, teach kids how to do carpentry, uh, mechanic work, all that. Um, all of that, though, is to draw those kids, but as they come, the church follows behind and engages them with the Word of God in a safe environment. Um, it's important to me because it was on a basketball court that I got saved. And uh, again, going to a school in New York City, they had some men from Campus Crusade that took the risk of going to an inner city school that was taken over by the state because there was more violence going on than teaching. And they came out and they challenged a bunch of black kids in basketball, which was the biggest mistake of their lives. Uh, and here's the thing, this two weeks ago, I was in ev at an event talking about how these guys, I don't, I don't remember who they were, they came to my school, played us in basketball, and on the basketball court, they told me that Jesus loved me, and it changed my life. And the lady raised her hand. She says, I know one of the men that were there. And she pointed to her husband. And he was one of those men that came to Andrew Jackson High School in 1996 and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ on the basketball court. So we believe in outreach. Um, we may saturate our communities with churches, but that doesn't mean we're saturating the community with the gospel. 
And so we have to figure out ways to get the church um, to people, and that's what we're, what we're trying to do. Um, having said that, um, it's, it's such an honor to, to preach. Uh, Tom texted me this morning. He says, uh, Dwayne, uh, you're a black preacher, and so I want you to understand we have a 30-minute preaching limit, and so don't go beyond that. So I have to save some of my stories uh, for this. The title of my message is Serving Opens Doors. Serving Opens Doors. It's a play on words because that's what you do. When you serve others, you open doors, you do things. But what I want to talk about is how serving can open the doors to the gospel for different groups of people, right? And how important serving is for the church. Now, um, it's a beautiful day out. This, uh, it's been really nice lately and getting back to normal, at least that's how we're we are, uh, what we're saying, this past Friday, I took my wife to a restaurant called Founding Farmers. Anyone ever been there? And um, it was great to see so many people out eating. Uh, it's great to see people not uh, with masks and just enjoying themselves. And a few weeks ago, my son uh, took me to the movies to see a movie called Fast and the Furious. Um, now, I'm gonna ruin the movie for those of you who wanna go see it. It is quite possibly the dumbest movie I've ever seen. Uh, but it, was, it wasn't about the movie. It was about the experience of being in a theater with other people and thinking to yourself, things are going back to normal. God, thank you. And so for me, I want to forget about the last year and a half. I want to put that behind me and never look back. But unfortunately, we really can't. One reason why is because it was probably the most traumatic experience of many of our lives. Some of us have loved, lost loved ones. Some of us are still struggling with the whole uh, pandemic. But there's another reason why I don't think we should forget about it just so soon. One is that I think there's a lot of lessons that we learned over the last year and a half. A lot of lessons about the church and our preparation for challenges and difficulties. Ever since, I, ever since I was saved, I was told the world's about to end. And I was worried at first because I didn't get married, I didn't have kids. I was like, oh, could Jesus wait just a few years so I could get married? But the idea was that, hey, listen, there's a lot of things happening that indicate that the time is coming to an end. And I know um, this church has been going through the book of Revelations and different ways of understanding it. But one of the hallmarks of it is that there's going to be tribulation. There's going to be difficulties. Um, and this past year was probably the most difficult time most of us have ever experienced in our lives. The question I have, though, is when the non-believer or the world looks at the church or looked at the church over this last year and a half, what did they see? Did they see a victorious church standing firm on the gospel? Did they see a church glorious preparing for the return of his Savior? Or did they see a lot of us falling on our face? Unfortunately, I think they saw a lot of challenges, difficulties in the body. And I think we need to learn from some of those things. One thing I think they unquestionably saw was that we were fighting each other, weren't we? We were fighting over a lot of different things. We are fighting over the nature of the pandemic. Was it a real thing? Was it not? Was it, should we have shut the churches down? Should we have remained open? Should we have worn masks? Should we not have worn masks? We were really going at it. And when churches shut down, 
we went online and started fighting each other. I'm, I'm guilty. I've had more Facebook debates that ended in no good than I ever did in my life. A lot of pastors I speak to said, you know what? I've talked to members who are not coming back because they got into a debate with another member that they used to worship together with, and now they both are saying, we're not coming back to that church if they're in that church. Some were saying, oh, I didn't know my church, mem- uh, my fellow members were so bigoted, and some were saying, I, don't know that, I didn't know that they were so liberal. And there's a lot of fighting and infighting. I don't think I'm exaggerating that. I think that was certainly what was happening. Another thing that we saw was divisions, right? We really took sides on what I call the, the ABCs or the alphabet problems in this country, the CRTs, the BLMs, the GOPs, the DNCs. We were divided into these different alphabet groups, and the one thing that took a hit was the CROSS. We were so committed to some of those divisions that we forgot the unity of the cross, the unity of suffering. There was abandonment. People are saying, I'm never going back to church. I don't want to be associated with those people anymore. Of course, judgmentalism, we judge each other badly, don't we? Someone says, hey, I don't think I can go because I'm worried about getting sick. We say, well, you don't have enough faith. And if someone says, well, I'm going, even though I may get sick, you say, well, you're a fool. And then there was a lot of complaining. All these things were true of me. If you went on my Facebook account, you will see the infighting, the divisions, the abandonment, the judgmentalism, the complaining, I am guilty. That's what many churches experienced. That's what the world saw when they looked at this entity that claims to be the body of Jesus Christ, here to serve its purposes in the world. But then I was thinking about it, I was like, you know what? I gotta be a little bit more gracious. This was unprecedented, no one expected this. None of us have ever experienced a pandemic in the past. We, we are not to be literally uh, pretty much held accountable for how we reacted for something that no one was prepared for. And, you know, I started to give myself a little bit grace, saying, Dwayne, you were caught off guard, and you responded in some negative ways, in some ways that dishonored Christ, but give yourself a break. It was a difficult time. And so I was walking around with my head up saying, you know what? Sometimes I got to show myself grace. But then I read Matthew 25, verses 31 through 40. It's a very familiar verse, but it knocked me down. And here's why. This verse is about the the sheep and the goat and how when Christ returns, he's going to be commending his people, the sheep, for serving. And that's how I've always read it. But contextually, His return is coming after the worst period of time in the world. I think we call it the Great Tribulation or Jacob's Troubles or it's a bad time. But yet, there's this expectation of serving. There's there's the church is supposed to be doing something during this time, not dividing and complaining and judging, but serving. So even if I want to justify myself and say, hey, you know what, if... Man, it was a tough time. When Jesus returns, it will be in the midst of a tough time with the expectation of the church serving. So I want to talk about how important serving is during difficult times, but moving forward. Here's the, the gist of it. 
So I'm, I'm proud to say that I've gone back to movies. Uh, I went to a basketball tournament yesterday for my son and seeing a lot of people at this, the tournament. Our center has uh, been having tournaments once a month, hundreds of kids coming out. And I'm like, yeah, I want to be part of the getting back to normal. Wouldn't it be interested, interesting if the church says yes, just like people are just trying their best to go back and do things that they did prior to the pandemic, wouldn't it be awesome if we said we're going back to service? That one thing that took a hit during that time is we weren't doing the work that we were supposed to do. Some of it was legitimate. We couldn't. But wouldn't it be exciting that the world can say, hey, just like people are filling stadiums now, the church is filling communities and filling uh, the society with service. Are we as excited about that as the world is excited about NBA finals and Olympics? Let's look at Matthew 25, 31 through 40. I'll give a few points on that, um, a few takeaways from this passage, then I want to um, just related to what we did at, a, at the center and how that opened doors for ministry and how we can continue that work as a church. It says this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now again, this is an iconic text. This is something we've heard so many sermons about. I just want to focus on the work that's being done, the service that's being done in the context of the tribulation. This was the worst period of time. And there was no excuses. The body of Christ still had to work, still had to serve, still had to give back. First point I want to make about this is service doesn't stop when the world goes haywire. I wanted to say it, it, it did. I was like, hey, listen, I, uh, for several months I, I was quarantined. I really couldn't do much. Maybe there's things we could have done. Maybe we could have been a little bit more flexible with ways of uh, options. But here, whatever the tribulation looks like, I think it's going to look worse than last year. One, a part of it is going to be pestilence, I believe. I read Revelation. It's really difficult for me. So I, I, I kind of 
don't read it as much as I should, but I think there's a whole bunch of different horses and pale horses and all that stuff. It's going to be ugly. But coming out of it, Jesus is saying, thank you for feeding the hungry. Thank you for giving water to the thirsty. So there's, there's this re- reality that despite how challenging times might be, the body of Christ is expected to serve. Well, based on that, look, the second point is God's people will always be in a position to serve. He's commending them. So I always thought that there was nothing good that's happening during the tribulation. But when you read it, you kind of see there's actually some really powerful things happening. I think more, more people are evangelized than any other time in history. People are actually coming to Christ during this time. And here he separates the nations and he's able to separate the nations, which means there's good happening even in the worst time. And God's people are in a position to do good things. While we were dividing and fighting and judging and angry at our churches for shutting down, one of the casualties of all that was service to others. See, the families that I work with at the center, before the pandemic, they were already suffering. The pandemic didn't make them poor. It exacerbated their poverty. We see all the statistics. They were dying faster the, because they were already sick. They already had diabetes and high blood pressure and all these different things that made it worse for them. On top of that, not having good health care and health insurance. And for many of us, that wasn't the case. So we had a lot of time to argue and fight about the response. While so many were struggling. You see, sometimes when these difficulties come, we end up turning on one another. And not only are we destroying and ripping each other apart, we can't serve the least of these that Jesus has called us to serve. The third point I want to uh, make note of is God notices the little things done for the little people. I don't know how much he notices my stance online about CRT. I don't know if he cares. I don't notice, I don't know if he notices that my position on BLM. I don't know if he cares. I don't know if he notices my position on my political party and who I think should be president. Because when he came back, he didn't say anything. Based on this, when he comes back, he's not talking about that. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to separate the goats and the sheep and sheep. Thanks for voting for this one guy. You had the right political perspective this whole time. Here's what he's looking at. He says, man, they were hungry and you fed them. Hey, listen, this is something that's pretty accessible to most of us. I waste more food than I give to the poor. I waste more money than I donate. This is not a a, a huge thing here from the perspective of those who have, but for the least of these, that's a big deal, isn't it? And that's what Jesus Jesus noticed. Water, he says, hey, I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. 
How many of us have the experience where you open a bottle of water, you take a sip, and then you waste the rest? But yet, that's something that tells me that we are able to give people something to drink. What was it like, $3 for a 24-pack of water? You would think Jesus is like, well, that's so accessible and easy for you to do. It's not a big deal. But it is a big deal from the perspective of the least of these. And he makes a big deal out of it, doesn't he? He separates the goats and the sheep. And this is what he talks about, feeding and giving someone something to drink and clothing them. I got a lot of clothes in my, in my closet that I don't wear. Part of it is that I keep getting wider and the clothes can't fit me, right? Now, I'm 41 years old and my son, he's starting to talk about these stretchy jeans, right? And stretchy jeans, and I'm like, wait a minute, I don't think a black man could fit in a stretchy jeans. So I bought myself a stretchy jeans and uh, it does stretch, but I look weird in it, right? It looks like if you throw water on me, I'll pop, right? <laughs> but I have tons of clothes that I don't wear. I have clothes with tags on it. Jesus said, I was naked and you clothed me. That's a big deal to him. He says, I, I was in prison and, and you visited me. He said, I was sick and shut in and, and you, you stopped by. You know, that's, that's interesting because I spend a lot of time doing things that are, are just selfish. Not selfish, but you know, you got to take care of yourself. So I'll, I'll go and walk and I'll drive out and go to the mall and walk around the mall. But you know, there's a lot of people I could visit that I don't visit because I'm like, hey man, it's my time. I got to take care of myself right now. I need some me time. The Lord said, remember that time you had some me time and you decided to be at someone else's time and you, took, you went and visited them? He said, I, I noticed that. Now, the pandemic took a lot of this stuff away from us, didn't it? It took the movies away. It took uh, restaurants away. It took Thanksgiving away. But it also took feeding the hungry and giving water to the thirsty and visiting the sick and visiting people in prison. So are we going to be as excited about doing those things as we are about going back to normal? I'm almost done. What time am I supposed to be done? I'm sorry. You got to tell me that. Okay, I, I can't see that. I'm going to say I can't see it so I can keep going. Um, <laughs> point four, we are held accountable for the good we didn't do. Now, it's not only that Jesus is commending his, his people for the good that they've done. When he switches to the goats, he says, man, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. Now, I've always thought when Jesus judges, he's going to bring up all the bad things people do. Right? He's going to say, hey, you, this is all the stuff that you guys were doing. You were violent, you were murdering and all this stuff. And here is, oh, he's actually judging them on the stuff that they didn't do. The good that they didn't do. That's scary to me. Because there's a whole lot of good I'm not doing. So what am I, what is this all about? Serving can open doors. And I want to give an example, a few examples of what happened with us at the center. During the time, it's unfortunate, during the time of the pandemic, some churches weren't open, but some uh, funeral homes 
weren't open. Or they couldn't have many people at a funeral service. So we have this sprawling campus, and we decided, hey, let's serve the community because they're burying their loved ones. And imagine burying someone, not being able to mourn them, not being able to see them. Um, it was really hard on people who've already been suffering for so long. So we decided, hey, let's just, let's offer our center. So we've done several services over the last few years and uh, last few months. In fact, on Friday, I did a service for a 19-year-old girl. But what we noticed is that by providing this service to a community that was hurting, people were open to hear about Jesus because they needed to know that God was there. Another thing we did is because uh, our big part of our program is feeding the community, feeding the kids. We, every night the church is on site, a different church will prepare the meal. We'll serve up to 100 meals a night. Um, by the year end, we've, we've served over 24,000 meals. Um, but it was a big part of the, the, the need of the students. So when the state told us to shut down, first thing we thought, how are these kids going to eat? Because they were going to school for breakfast and lunch and then coming to our center for dinner. So we called the school and we said, well, how are we going to feed these kids? And the school said, hey, let's partner. And so every day for a little bit over about a, two months, what we did, we served 700 students breakfast and lunch with partnerships with the school. They provided it, we delivered. Our, our site became a distribution point, and then we used our vans to go into communities and take food. And then when the school said, hey, we can't do it anymore, what we did, we took our funding and we took our budget and we said, well, we're going to have to feed people. And so what we, we provided one week of grocery for 75 families for over a month. But we had to pack it and everything and then take it to them. And we decided, hey, let's just not drop it off. Let's see if they need prayer. So we started a prayer ministry. We went to the mobile home parks and we went to some of the projects and we delivered food and, and we would pray with families and then we would run small games with the kids. There was this one mother, she came with her daughter and her daughter was undersized. She said, she's been sick, she's always sick. She said, can y'all pray for me? I, okay, we'll pray. My wife prayed, next week she came back. Went to the doctor, the doctor said she's healed. That woman came every week for food and prayer. And what we noticed is that a door was open to a community that wasn't there before because we served. I just want to say this. Listen, Jesus is counting on us on opening doors for him. He loves people. And we're dealing with people that are hurting and they're closed the doors of their hearts. But if we serve, we can open some of those doors so that Jesus can reach them and save them. We must do good works for people in need. That's not a question. The church has to. But wouldn't it be awesome to leverage what we can do so people can come to know Christ as Savior? So here's the thing. Serving can open the mind of the skeptic. So because we work with the schools, and the school are always skeptical about Christian ministries because they're like, oh, you're just trying to prophetize. We worked with the school. This summer, they came to us and said, hey, man, can you let us use our, your staff on campus for our summer program? So what do you mean by that? We want your staff 
to be in the classroom working with these kids because the kids are always talking about all the work that you're doing with them. We know these kids have been traumatized over the year, so we need you guys to be there for them. Would you allow, would you allow your staff to work on campus? Wow. That's what Campus Crusade has been trying to do for years. So we had seven of our college interns and staff every day on campus for the school summer program, working with students on campus. Then they came and said, can you help us develop a leadership program for all of our athletes in the school for September? Then they said, can you run one of your programs? We have a program called um, uh, Success Clubs, where we take the students that are really struggling and teach them what success looks like. And it looks like Jesus, right? And they said, hey, you can run that on campus. The door was open because of the service that was rendered. Also, the juvenile detention center. We just made a point to them. We said, hey, listen, you know how we noticed that when kids are um, alone in their rooms for a long period of time or by themselves, it really affects them emotionally and with mental health? We, we see it. What about kids that they've been locking up? That's been happening. They've been locking kids up, taking them away from families. Maybe they deserve to be taken away and locked up. But if you lock a kid up in a room by themselves for a long period of time, it has devastating effects. So we told the juvenile detention center, since what we're seeing with these kids because of the shutdown, I'm sure you're experiencing that with the kids that you have to lock up. You know what they said? Well, what are you guys going to do about it? So, well, we could run programs. They said, not only will we allow you to run programs, we will Zoom, you know, Zoom, chat, whatever, all your Bible studies into the rooms of those kids that want it. The juvenile detention center. Serving opens doors. So open the door of the juvenile detention center. And here's the last uh, point I'm going to make, and then I'm, I'm going to end with some application. Um, so during this time, our doors were open. And kids can come in and talk with us when they needed to. And we had this one young man come in. And he's, he'd been at the center for a while before, but he, was, uh, he just walked in and he said, I need, I need you to talk to God for me. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, I need you to talk to God for me. And, you know, I'm a, I guess I'm a Calvinist that, you know, you can talk to God for yourself, priesthood of the believers, right? And he says, because I want to thank him for something. I said, you, you, like, come in. So he came and talked with me and one of our staff, Bud. He said... I said, well, what do you want to talk to God about? And I'm thinking something's wrong with this kid. Maybe he's high or something. He says, no, I, I want you to tell God thank you for me. And then he pulled down his shoulder, and there was a bullet hole that went from one side to the other. The bullet went out. He said, I was, I was visiting a friend. And he said, when I went into the home, he was being robbed. And the guy saw me, turned around, and just started shooting. And one bullet hit me and went out. And he said, I turned my back, and I'm running. He says, I should have been killed. He said, but God saved me. Then I said, hey, you sure you just want to say thank you? You know, he has a greater purpose for you in your life. So we took him back, and, I, and we said, first of all, you could talk to God yourself, but wouldn't you want to be saved spiritually also while you thank him for saving you physically? And he did. He prayed to receive Christ. Why? Because the doors were open for service. Literally, serving opens the door so that Jesus can walk in and save souls. So what does it mean for us as a church? You're now coming back. There's some challenges and some difficulties, but I want to encourage you. One, you need to serve. And I hate to, you know, people say, don't ever say you need when you preach. We need to serve. 
We need to serve our church. Look around. Some people ain't come back. Some ministries aren't being uh, filled because people have left. We need you to step up because if you're not serving, doors aren't open. Here's another uh, reality. Some left, some new folks are coming in. What did they say? There was more Bible sales during the pandemic. It has exploded. Well, you know how many people are just waiting to come to church for the first time? And when they come to church, what are they going to find? A few pastors trying to do all the work or a body that's saying, hey, it's time to serve. The harvest is here. We need you to serve. We need you to serve in your community. Even at our center, we're trying to do all these things. These kids are coming back out, and guess what? There's not enough people serving on the baseball teams. There's not enough people serving in the, um, in the basketball teams or even in the, the food cupboards and all that. You need to serve in your community. Why? If you're salt and light, you got to be salt and light to somebody. But maybe we don't serve. That void will be filled with someone else. And who's the person that's going to fill that void? Wouldn't it be better if it's you, someone who's redeemed, know the Lord, and want to serve for the right reasons? When we decided to move from a 6,800-square-foot center to a 33,000-square-foot on four and a half acres, someone told me, why, why would you do that? And we said, why would we not? Because I'd rather have a community center that's dedicated to serving Jesus than to be protesting in front of one of the biggest Planned Parenthood buildings in our community. That void would have been filled. That property would have been bought. That building would have been utilized. Wouldn't it be best if the body of Christ is doing it? Serving a charity, an organization. Ours is a nonprofit. We have a board of Christian men and women who have incredible experience that if we were to hire that person, we would go out of business. Some of you are so gifted, so talented, so successful. Imagine if you brought that to a nonprofit Christian ministry, the change that you can bring to that organization. This is a time for us. Athletes are going back to sports, they're excited. People are going back to work in their offices. They're not so excited. (laughs) Businesses are opening and saying, we're hiring. We're going to give you $18 an hour. What if the church makes the news because there's an unprecedented amount of Christians going back to service? What if that's on the newspapers? Not just that buildings are being filled again and sport venues are being filled, but that service is being rendered in the name of Jesus Christ after the pandemic. Last story, and then I'll get, my, I'll get myself out of here. <laughs> um, I spoke at Cairn University a couple years ago, and they, they always have me speak at like the last chapel to, to punish the students, right? So it was the last chapel, it wasn't that many students, and I, I spoke about the gospel and how important it is, and three students stayed back, and I'm like, great, I got a fan club. And um, they said after, the minute, after I preached, they, they wanted to talk to me. And they said, we got a, something to tell you. So we were just in Guatemala on a missions trip. So we went, when we went to Guatemala, they took us to an orphanage, and we spent all day combing lice out of the hair of kids. So we never saw so many people without parents and poor. So then they took us to a, a uh, garbage dump 
a landfill. And it was filled with trash and kids. And the kids were tunneling through the trash to see if they could find anything of value that they can go sell and use that money to buy food for their families. And they said, where was God in all that? That rocked me. I didn't know how to answer the question. So I said to them, I said, wait, you were at an orphanage? I said, who else was there? I said, it was just us. Some Christian students from America. I said, what, was the media there from that country to, you know, let people see some of the challenges? And I said, no. So were any of the politicians there? This is no. Were any of the wealthy businessmen from that country there? I said, no. I said, when you went to the landfill, who was there? I said, the kids and us. I said, was the politicians there? No. Were the business people there? No. Was the media there? No. I said, but who was there? A few Christian kids from the United States. I said, so there's your answer. That's where God is, wherever we are. And when we don't serve, when we don't comb lice out of the hair of children, when we don't go to landfills to bring hope, when we don't serve in our communities and our church, we're taking God out the picture. And that's not right. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity. I thank you for your people. I thank you for this love and this embracing. But Lord God, we got work to do. It's been a year and a half of just sitting back. I'm not saying that's true of everyone here. I'm sure many people were doing their best. But God, the reason why some members aren't back is because they got caught up in some of the sins you delivered them from, and they feel ashamed. They don't want to come back. They don't feel accepted. And we got to serve. We got to call them. We got to re-embrace them. We got to tell them, come back home. There's work for your people to do. So I pray that we will recognize by serving others We're opening the door for you to work in their lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.